Praise God. Turn, please, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're looking at the parable of the sower, part 3. Part 3 of the parable of the sower. And this is the last part we're doing on it. We've looked at the first two soils. We're looking at the third and fourth soil today. And let's, let's pick up and read what we've looked at before a little bit so we get the context for anybody joining us and those in our live stream audience. We praise God for you in the live stream audience. We love you guys so much. We praise God that we have an excited live stream audience that just loves Jesus. And many of them meet in, in small groups and so forth. And may the Lord bless your time together as we get into God's word together. And whoever you are, wherever you are, because uh, you obviously love Jesus and you love his word because that's what we're all about. Luke chapter 8 verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. And these parables, the context of which Jesus gives, typically are to tell a earthly story to reveal a heavenly or kingdom truth. Uh, and at, at the same time, sometimes we got in more depth as to what his parables were. For those who had ears to hear, there'd be more truth. For those whose hearts were hard, uh, they'd become more blinded. And that's in the first part. I gone, went through that and the meaning of that in the first message. Jesus said, the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road. And it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, and it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up, produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would cry out, or call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we went through verses 9 and 10 in the first message. We'll go to verse 11 where he describes or explains the parable. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So what's the seed that's being sown? What's it symbolic of? The The word of God, amen. The message of the gospel. Verse 12, those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So the first soil is the hard soil. It's like just really dense dirt. It's by the roadside, so it gets walked on a lot. It's in between the different uh, farmland and the servants and so forth, and they they trample it. That, That ground gets really, really hard, so the seeds never penetrate. And the birds of the air, Jesus said, come and take the seeds. Then he explains to us what this means. This means Satan, he says, comes and takes the seed before it germinates, before it penetrates the ground, that hard ground, and somehow could get in there possibly, and Satan takes it away so they don't believe and end up getting what? Saved, amen? Uh, So believing brings what? Salvation. We were saved by grace through faith. In the context of this parable, when you come to faith, you are a saved person, but Satan takes the seed away so they won't believe and be saved. And we talked about how the scriptures tell us that if our gospel is hid, it's hid because the God of this world, that means Satan, the God of this world system, the dark world, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whose image of God should shine unto them. So Satan tries to keep people from knowing the gospel, and if the seed gets planted, you share the gospel with someone, there's spiritual warfare, and then he tries to rip it out of their hearts before it penetrates their hearts. That's why it's important for you to pray that God would soften people's hearts, amen, and pray that against the enemy and his work when you're sharing the gospel with people. Then he says, those on the rocky soil, okay, this rocky soil, often in Israel, there's like shelves of rock, bedrock, just, just 
inches, maybe two, three inches deep is a lot of the soil, sometimes an inch deep, and right under it is bedrock. So it's rocky soil, and, and the seeds could get into that soil. It's not hard. It just has a lot of rocks mixed in, perhaps, but also a rocky shelf, and therefore the roots can't go too deep. Well, guess what? The seed which fell among the, uh, the, the seed on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word of God with joy, right? They have joy. They're excited about God's word, okay? These have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they what? Fall away. Now, Satan tries to keep the first group from being saved, from believing and being saved, it says. Does, is he able to stop the second group from being saved? Can he stop them from believing? No, they believe, but just for what? A while. So they actually have life. They spring up. They actually have some fruit. They have the joy, which is fruit of the Spirit in the Scripture. So they have the joy of the Lord. They, they're, they're alive. But guess what? In time of temptation, as it says in Mark chapter 4, when that sun beats upon them, when you look at the parable, the heat comes. It's too much for them because their roots aren't very deep. They're shallow believers. And when temptation and trial comes, they fall away. And we see that throughout church history. You might know people. I know I've seen it in the past where people go through persecution and they, they can't hack it. And their walk with Jesus isn't strong. Their roots aren't very deep. There's life there because it shows you the first one, there's no life. No life comes. There's no salvation. The second one, there's belief for a while, which equals salvation in this parable. And there's actual life there. And there's joy even. But then in times of temptation, Mark 4, Luke, Matthew 13, the other two places where this parable in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, we read uh, when they face tribulation, troubles, they fall away. We've already studied those first two soils. Now we're under the third, which we haven't really got into as much. And we look at the third and fourth today. And you don't want to be the first two soils, amen? If you're here today and you're here because you're a believer in Jesus, you're not the first soil. You receive the word, amen? Say praise the Lord, amen? Uh, hopefully you're not the second soil. Persecution is coming. And a lot of us have endured some persecution. Not like most people endure persecution in some of the countries where it's illegal to even be a Christian. Looks like that could happen here. Get the right people in office and suspend more and more of the rights that we have to worship the Lord. That's why I need to stand up and lift up the name of Jesus anyway, amen. Uh, so the third soil, the seed which fell among the thorns. Thorns were already there, right? And everybody has thorny hearts before they get saved. It fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are what? Choked with what? worries and what riches not just so these thorns symbolize what worry right and riches and what pleasures of this life it's interesting that jesus gives us an array of different things that could choke god's word out of our lives worries some people just worry they get fixated on certain things there's probably many many professing believers that are so worried about covid 19 and freaking out about it and the enemy's got them in this tizzy to where they can't focus on Jesus. And they haven't read the word. And they're just constantly watching the news and they're petrified. And they don't want to be in fellowship. And, and you know, oh, I'm so scared. And then it keeps them, God, God wants them to know him and walk in him and grow in him. But they get fixated on the worries of this life. And riches. In Mark, Matthew 13 in the parable of the sower, Matthew gives a little more what Jesus said here. The deceitfulness of riches. Riches can be very, very deceitful. Uh, they can lead us astray. And those who long to be rich in this world, not just those who are rich, 
It's harder for rich man, said Jesus, to get the kingdom of, of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That sounds impossible. Then Jesus went on to say after the disciples said that, he said all things are possible with who? With God, amen? So, but it's not just the, those who are rich are, who need to be really concerned that they don't put their riches before Jesus and allow their riches to choke out their love for Jesus because with their riches comes a temptation, a greater ability to fulfill temptations and Satan can really get a foothold. But also, those who desire to be rich in this world, that's what it says in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns about those who desire to be rich in the world, meaning that becomes their fixation. They will plunge themselves into many hurtful lusts and in destruction. And because of longing for these things, they've wandered away from the faith. It's choked, the, choked their faith in Jesus and the word out. And you have to be very, very watchful and make sure that doesn't happen in your life. Just wanting to be rich and focusing on trying to be rich can get you away from the cross. And this life is temporary, amen? It's very temporal. It's here and it's gone. So if you live for today, man, you, just, you lose the riches and everything. You lose your soul. Amen? Because you can't take it with you. Amen? In that same pa- passage, Paul talks about how naked we came in the world, naked we're leaving it, echoing Job a bit. So he says of these, they, 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 they're choked out. The word's choked out. The seed, the word is choked out by the worries, the riches, the pleasures of this life. Some just live for pleasure. A lot of pleasures you can have without riches. Some of the most beautiful pleasures are free. You know, can enjoy the sunset, things that God made. And there's a lot of people focus on nature and things of that nature. And I love nature, you know. I was outside last night, pretty late, you know, under the stars, you know. And I'm hearing all the fireworks and all those things go off. But I was like, the fireworks were gone, man. But I was enjoying God's stars. They were still there, amen. And, but at the same time, you can't let the pleasures of life, you, you gotta first of all make sure they're not sinful if whatever pleasures are. But God, Gave us all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6. But they shouldn't take first and center stage over the Lord. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen. So it's important to make sure our, prof- our, our priorities are right. And they bring no fruit to what? They bring no fruit to maturity. Doesn't mean they didn't have any fruit, but the fruit didn't come to maturity. This, this, the, the, the third soil also has life. First soil, no life. Second soil, life, but temporary life. Life is a picture of regeneration, being born again. The third soil has life, and like the first one that had joy, it has some, a little bit of fruit, but not to maturity. And there's no fruit in the end. And fruit is critical because look at verse 15, the fourth soil. This is where you want to make sure you're at. But the seed in the good soil, that's a heart with a disposition to accept God's word. These are the ones who have heard the word, and an honest and good heart hold it fast. It's an honest heart. You recognize you're a sinner, that you need God's mercy, his grace. You accept the gospel message, amen? You accept the fact that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again. Doesn't mean good in the sense that says honest, that means you're honest with your sinfulness and you humble yourselves before God. Jesus said you must become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, amen? Have you become like a child and, and, and accept his word, amen? But it says they hold it fast. In other words, you have a disposition to where you want to hold on to God's word. They hold it fast. They don't let it go. And they bear fruit with what? Perseverance, amen? These guys have perseverance. They continue to hold on to the word and they persevere. So later on in their walks, toward the end of their walks before they die and when they die, they're still holding on to the word of God, amen? They're still holding on to the seed, And they bear fruit. There's fruit in their lives. That's key. Because the first three have no enduring fruit. There's a lot we can learn from this. A lot we should learn. A lot we ought 
to learn from this. And it's amazing because in the first soil, the first soil is the hard soil. Make sure you don't have a hard heart. The second soil is the shallow, rocky soil. Make sure your heart's not shallow with Jesus. That's why I preach the way I do. That's why we're strong in the word. I want to make sure everybody's saved, man, and everybody knows Jesus and that we're serious about him. Don't be a shallow-hearted Christian. Amen? Soils represent our hearts. Third soil, that's the heart that has, that's the mixed soil. It's mixing God's word with sin, a love for riches, allowing the worries of life instead of trusting Jesus to dominate you. You know, we just focus on the worries instead of looking to him, okay? And, or mixing the pleasures of life to where they take dominance over your love for Jesus. Very, very serious. You don't want to be hard-hearted. You don't want to be shallow-hearted. And you don't want to be mixed-hearted. Amen? You want to be all for Jesus. Amen? Are you with me? So it's interesting. Take your Bibles, please, and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, a couple books before Luke. And it's quite interesting because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this concept of not worrying, being like the birds there who trust, the, you know, and the Father feeds them, you know, not living for riches and for wealth. You can't serve God and mammon, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, not living for your pleasures, but living for the Lord. And in Matthew six nineteen, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. You realize any treasures that you store up here are going to be gone, right? Our lives are like a vapor. They're here for a while, then they're gone. We get old really quick. It happens. It's just fast. Amen? So you don't want to lay up treasures on this earth as though this is where you're banking for eternity. It's not a very smart investment because eternity is forever. Amen? You want to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I remember Ronald Reagan said his favorite story was a story of a former president, right? He said his favorite story was a story where a man had, uh, had some, you know, things belonging, some wealth on an island, but he heard that a hurricane was coming that was going to devastate the island. And he transferred all of his wealth, everything he had, which not that it was compared to what we had, a lot of people have here, but he had, took it on a ship or a boat to another island far away that was out of the hemisphere of where this hurricane was going to hit. The hurricane destroyed that island, but guess what? He got what he, he transferred to the other island and he had it in the end. And that is an interesting story because it's a good picture of what we ought to do as believers, amen? Because the Bible says everything's going to burn. Read 2 Peter chapter 3. There's going to be a cosmic meltdown where everything's going to burn and you want to make sure that you are doing things to the Lord, amen, and seeking him and serving him and that you're racking up rewards and blessings in heaven, amen. Lay not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break and steal, but lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, right, can corrupt and people can't steal it, amen. So this is vital that we get this and understand. Now look at verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body. So your eye is a, a lamp. It's like the light comes out of the eye. So then if your eye is clear, clear or single, if you have the King James, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he talking about here? Verse 24, no one can serve what? Two masters. 
For either who will hate the one and love the other, or who be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Or if I have it memorized, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't. You can't have a mixed heart where you have a rival throne and, and mammon's right there with God and you're trying to serve them equally. No, Jesus said you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, this word that says the eye being clear, he's not talking about your physical eye. He's talking about your spiritual eye. Paul talked about uh, God opening the eyes of our hearts, you know. He's talking about your soul, your soul being filled with light and, and the eye being filled with light of God. In other words, spiritually speaking. So if you have a bad eye physically, right, bad eyes you can't see and they're filled with darkness, you're going to fall into a ditch or you're going to die, you know, unless you get that corrected or you learn how to live, you know, with, with guidance in some way from God, amen, or with the help that God gives. But he's talking about the spiritual eye. That if your eyes are spiritually blind, like the church at Laodicea, where you're spiritually have rival thrones, it's where there's a mixture going on. In fact, that word, when he says the eye is clear or single, that's used in the Greek Septuagint. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus and the apostles used that was written before Jesus came on the scene. And it was done by Hebrew scholars because the world was starting to speak Greek, and they translated the Old Testament into Greek, so they used the Septuagint a lot. Well, the Septuagint tr translates that particular word, haplus, which is the Greek word. Uh, the way it translates it is that of being singly focused. And Jesus is talking about being singly focused and not mixed with God and not mixing God and mammon, weeds with God's word in your heart, okay? God loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you, okay? We're supposed to be content with food and covering, amen. Seek first the kingdom of God and he'll add all these things to you and his righteousness and he'll add all these things to you. He wants to take care of you, he wants to love you. Don't live for wealth though. It's a futile, you'll never have the joy of the Lord and even worse, you'll be in huge trouble with God because that's idolatry. The Bible says to put off all idolatry and in Colossians when it talks about idolatry, he talks about greed, which is idolatry. Greed is a form of idolatry. We need to make sure that we're not greedy as people, Amen. Uh, then we miss God and we miss how to be a blessing to each other and love one another and share with one another and take care of each other as well. So it's kind of interesting because haplus there means being mixed, like the mixed soil. You want to make sure your heart is singly focused on the Lord first and foremost. Amen? He should be the most important person to you. Why? Because he made you. He's the only one who created you. He created you in his image for his purposes, Right? For his glory, amen? Because he loves you so much, he sent his son to die in your place, amen? Because God became a man and gave himself in your place so you could be free from sin. So, and because he's preparing a place for you as a believer, amen? Jesus says, see to it that your heart is not troubled. He said, in my father's house there are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, but he said, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also, Amen? Because we weren't created for our own, but we've been redeemed by the price of his precious blood. There's so many reasons to put him first, amen? And you could try to stack any amount of reasons to put something else first, but guess what? When you look at whatever you write to put something else first versus why you should put God first, what you can write on the side of putting whatever idol you might put before God first, you'll see it's ridiculous. Because only he after many fell away, John 666, chapter 6, verse 66, says many fell away and followed him no longer. Then right after that, it says, Jesus said to Peter, will you two go away from me? Peter says, well, where, where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter did the math. He understood. And we need to recognize 
that we want to be with him forever. So we want to make sure that our eyes are unmixed, that our eyes are pure, they're purely focused on the Lord. Amen? doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless you. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy some material things. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that God's given us all things to enjoy. Amen? He loves us. He's a good God. He wants you to be blessed in your life. Amen? He just doesn't want you to put those blessings and live for those things first. He wants you to live for him first. Seek first again the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Just don't let them dominate your life. Don't let them move you from your mission of seeking first his kingdom, of shining the light of his kingdom, of being a witness for his kingdom, of getting the gospel out. Those should be the priorities of our lives. Amen. In fact, when you don't, don't look, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we don't look at temporal things, but the things which are eternal. eternal. Amen. We don't focus on the material world, Paul says, but that which is spiritual. Okay. This is, a, this is the mind of Christ that we are to have as spiritual people that know the word of God. And as a spiritual person, as a Christian who has true spirituality, right? What the Bible calls true and undefiled religion. We fear God. We love him. And as we look to him, we become more and more unmixed. Our eyes, and eyes become more unjaundiced, less filled with darkness, more filled with light, more filled with Christ, the cross, the mission of the cross. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, He that has his hope, it's talking about Christ coming, and when he appears, we will be like him. It says, He that has his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen? I love that, man. And he's the bridegroom, the Bible says. He's coming for his bride. What does a bride do before she gets married? If she sees that her, wow, I can't, oh man, somebody, she traveled with her wedding dress and it got all dirty, and it's got like some, you know, stains in it and stuff, that she goes, oh, well, that'll, that's okay. Did any bride say that? No, no. Not a bride that cares about her bridegroom and being married and being a good witness. And no, she makes sure she gets the junk out. She purifies it. Well, the Bible says that he that has this hope of Christ coming, the ultimate bridegroom, purifies himself even as he is pure. That means with our lives, we would say, hey, I want to be right with God. I want to be with him forever. I want him to, when he sees me, I want to be as blameless as possible, amen? Without spot or wrinkle. He's come back for a bride. It says it's without spot or wrinkle, by the way. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, let us purify ourselves, not being mixed with sin and wickedness in our hearts and the word of God. You can't mix them together because those weeds will choke out the word. It says, therefore, since we have these promises, and by the way, Therefore, since we have what promises? If you read chapter 6 right before that and the verses at the end of chapter 6, that's where he says, what fellowship does light have with what? Darkness. You can't mix light and darkness. What fellowship does the temple of God have with the temple of what? Demons, he says. What fellowship do believers have with unbelievers? So when he's saying, what fellowship does light have with darkness, believers, unbelievers, the temple of God with the temple of the devils, and so forth, he says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you unto myself. You shall be my sons and my daughters. Amen? So he wants us to be his sons and daughters, but he wants us to come out of the weeds. Amen? And then he says, in that context, therefore, amen, let us cleanse ourselves of all sins of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, in chapter 7, verse 1, in the fear of God. We need to fear God, perfect holiness, are you doing that? Are you perfecting holiness in the fear of God? That's what it means to be a Christian. Therefore, since you want to be received as a child of God, cleanse yourself, purify yourself of sins of spirit and flesh, anything you're involved in, amen? Whether it's fleshly 
you know, wicked, you know, desires of fleshly wicked pleasures or it's pride and arrogance and, you know, spiritual wickedness. Purify yourself. So what? You can become what? You can perfect holiness in the fear of God. You recognize you stand before God and he matters more than anyone. You're going to give an account for your life. So you're like, you know, I'm going to do what's right, man. I'm going to weed some things out of my life. Whatever God wants me to do some weeding. Amen. We need to make sure we're, we're weeding as Christians because I'll tell you what, weeds are a huge problem. Isn't that true? Anybody ever have a garden? Anybody even have just a little bit of plants and you're just, you see the weeds come in and they, they're, they're horrible. They can just destroy the fruit in your garden. I've planted one garden one time and I got, I told, talked about this earlier, so I'm not going to talk about it. And say I got it way over my head. It was way too big. I could not keep up with the weeds, you know? Still got a lot of good fruit because I did pull some weeds, but I'll tell you what, we have to watch out for the weeds. You know, there's 1,775 species of weeds in just Northern America. That's a lot of weeds, almost 2,000 weeds, different types. Guess what? Those are pictures of the kinds of weeds that are coming to our lives spiritually. And I'm, I'm sure there's 1,775 or more different spiritual weeds that could come into your life. Amen? In fact, a lot of times these weeds are right in front of you being advertised. Go for this, go for this, live for this, live for this, go for this, live for this. And Satan's constantly trying to put these seeds into your heart. Madison Avenue, whatever, you know seduction, and so forth. I was reading, when I was reading about farming and studying it recently, I read about a game called Farmville, you know, and it's a very popular game. Tens of thousands of people were playing it. I'm not saying the game is bad in itself because guess what? It's a Facebook game that people were playing. And I, I think, I don't know, man, it was like 50, 60 million people were playing it at one time. I'm like the most popular game on Facebook. And you had a farm. You know, you, you, you could even actually spend real money to get certain things so you could farm could get better, you know. And the guy, and what it became, for a lot of people, not, a, not everybody, but it became addictive. They had to make their farm good. And in the meantime, they're forgetting their garden at home, their real farm, you know, forgetting their heart. And with Jesus, so, in fact, I read a testimony from a lady who said, he heard her, she played Farmville with her mom, you know, and she said it became so bad. And then my mom, I, my, I said, mom, why don't we play this game too? It's by the same makers of Farmville. And then she said her mom was just taken over. Older lady, and she, would, and she was grumpy and wouldn't talk. She always had to play Farmville. And she, she, relatives would come out to visit her, and she wouldn't even talk to the relatives. And they said, why won't she talk to us? She's on Farmville, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm reading about farming, and I'm reading about this weed right here when it's not even about the thorns. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Even something like Farmville can become a weed, you know? And then I read a quote. I didn't even bring it with me, but it's a quote from the guy that the next game that they started to, uh, other than Farmville, it's a similar type game. The guy says that we purposely try to get people addicted to the game and we'll do everything we can to get them addicted, you know? And I thought, wow, man, you gotta be careful with things because some people behind things, the enemies at work trying to plant seeds that go into a big weed and before you know it, I can't go to church, man. I got to take care of my farm. You got a farm? Well, yeah, it's, it's a computer game. That's embarrassing. That's sad too, though. Okay? Make sure you guys watch what you're doing. Amen? Uh, there's a weed called kudzu, K-U-D-Z-U. It's very popular in South America. I'm sorry, the southern part of the United States, but it's in other regions of the world too. And it actually was not native to our country, but it was brought here by the Japanese. And it, is, it grows several feet in the, when, the, when the climate's right, several feet a day. You could go out and even not even know you have it. And all of a sudden, what is that? 
go to sleep the next day and go, before you know, it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. It's like, and it just can cover a whole landscape, you know, just totally destroy a landscape and destroy plants. It, it destroys a lot of plants where it goes. And that's what Satan wants to do. It's a plant a kudzu in your heart, you know. It could be something that you don't even expect. It could be something as simple as farm, Farmville. Are you saying I can't play Farmville? I'm saying you can't put Farmville before Jesus. So you can't make it an idol, amen? Now, uh, it's interesting because there are 3,000 seeds that come from the ragwood weed. The pig weed puts out 120,000 seeds, just one plant, 120,000 seeds. So when you start allowing weeds in, they start dropping more and more seeds and things get more and more uncomfortable, com- more and more stifled, more and more destructive. And you have to be very, very careful. Weeds have a lot of things in common. Number one, they're aggressive. They grow a lot faster than your typical plants, amen? So if you don't deal with weeds when they come, they could just grow rapidly. Just like it's a lot easier to gain weight, did you ever notice that? Than lose weight for most of us. Amen? I mean, you got to work hard to, to, to you, you know, lose weight. You can gain weight just by looking at food. At least I can, you know. So it's interesting. Uh, right now, they don't only grow faster weeds, but number two, they rob other plants, the good plants you want, you, of moisture and nutrients. The weeds do that as well. They're aggressive, and then they rob you of what you need to grow. Okay, number three, which I think is interesting, they also grow faster, therefore they can tower over your plant or who you're to be, the weeds, and they block the sunlight. Weeds block sunlight from other plants. The weeds that you allow in your life can block the light of the Son of God, amen? It's important to understand. Number four, they crowd out the fruit and the root. They crowd out the very life of the plant that you want to grow, amen? And the tender shoots that would come forth from it and are very, very destructive. So you wanna make sure you take care of the seeds that are in your life. And Satan does plant weeds. Remember the parable of the tares and the wheat? Satan came in and Jesus said, plant tares along the wheat. Now it's a parable with a different purpose, but the principle is true in the sense that Satan does try to sow things in our lives. And that's why we're called to be watchful. That's why you want to have your head on a swivel and make sure the enemy is not bringing things in your life that are choking out the word of God. You need to examine your heart and say, am I allowing something to crowd out God's word in my life? Don't allow that to happen. We're talking about eternal life here, guys. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about forever. You have to make sure that you put Jesus first in your life. Amen? And put his word first. That word, that seed that's planted. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus said, that man shall, not live by, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? And he's saying that when Satan's trying to tempt him, man. And trying to keep, get his eyes off the word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus also said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. His word is eternal. You know, there's only a few eternal things. Everything you see physically right now is not eternal. It's dying or it's going to be burned. It's going to be... And it does, I mean, before it could just, because of entropy, the second law of thermodynamics is just going to dissipate into lower and lower forms of energy, into basically uselessness. And eventually, all matter, every molecule, every atom will be burned. 
the, what's eternal is, guess what? Your soul, God's word, God and his kingdom, amen? So you want to make sure your soul is filled with God's word, filled with, filled with Christ because he is eternal, amen? He alone has immortality, but we share in his life that he, because he gives us life. And I'll tell you what, you have to make God's word a priority. Have you been making God's word a priority in your life? Can you actually say, you know what? I'm allowing God's word to grow in my life. I have a hunger and thirst for his word. Well, guess what? When I, th- when I think of this, think of the trial that Job went through. We've studied Job a little bit recently. And if I asked you, now Job went through the most horrendous trial I can think of besides Jesus, okay? That's just my personal est- estimation is I don't see anybody go through where he loses his entire family. They all get killed. Like, like that right there would be so devastating. His wife is still alive, but she becomes this nag who's saying, curse God on Satan's side. Curse God and die. Kill yourself, you know? And so he loses his wife's heart, you know? His friends all turn against him and hate on him. He loses his whole reputation. All his wealth goes up in smoke. His health goes up in smoke, too. He's got boils from head to toe. He says, I, perstru- I, 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 I you know, I, I'd rather be strangled than live, you know? And he thinks that God's against him. And, you know, he thinks that, you know, God's wronged him in some way, but he doesn't want to lose his walk with God in case, because he's like, I, he knows deep down he must be seeing something wrong, you know? And God's going uh, God's to vindicate him in the end because he has glimpses of light and flashes of faith amidst his struggle. And if I asked you what it was, because Job is given to you and me as a, a huge example. He's named by name in James chapter 5 when it specifically says, consider how the prophets they endured. Amen? But then it specifically mentions one by name. And his name is Job. And how he's an example of one who endured trials and how the outcome of his trials, he, that God was merciful and compassionate on him. Remember, he blessed him twice as much. And we're called to look at Job. And we're called to realize that, that Job endured. Because in James 1, that's James 5. In James 1, he talks about when you encounter various trials, rejoice, amen? Because he talks about that when these trials come, that God is doing something. He's perfecting you, amen? He's doing something wonderful. Just hold on to the Lord. But then he warns us, and, and he promises too. It's an encouragement, really, and a promise with a little bit of a warning. He says in chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the one, blessed is the man who endures temptation or trial, prosmos in the Greek. Because having passed the test, if you pass the test, that means at the end of your life, you haven't given in Satan, you haven't turned away from God in the end. Having passed the test, he will receive the victor's crown of life. That's what it says in the Greek is the Stephanos, not the diadem of the royal crown of the king. The Stephanos is a victor's crown. Those who go through the trials and are victorious in the end. He'll receive the victor's crown of life. And listen to what it says. It says, which God will give to those who keep on loving him. Most of our translations say that, love him. But in the Greek, it's a present tense participle. And the Holman Bible translation, because I was looking at different translations, I thought, ooh, I love how they're translating this present tense participle. They have, it's promised to those who, you get the victor's kind of life, who endure temptation, amen? They will receive, those who receive it are those who keep on loving him. Satan said, I'm gonna get him to curse you and die, to stop loving God. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, cursed is everyone who does not love the Lord. The love of the many will grow cold in the last days, amen? The church at Ephesus, Jesus said, have this against you, you've left your first love, Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3, the last days, terrible times will come, men will be lovers of self, covetous, boasters, proud, blessed, fevers, disobedient, parents, unthankful, and only, on and on. And then it says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of them, it says, guess what? Loving pleasures more than loving of God. And it says they are without love as well. 
That's those who have a form of godliness in the last days, professing Christians. They're not going to love God, many of them. It's going to be about things. And the most popular form of the gospel today, we just have to be honest, have to shoot straight. When you turn on a lot of Christian TV, it's called the health and wealth gospel. How God wants you rich. He doesn't, you're never going to get sick if you follow Jesus and you have enough faith. And, and it's all about money and give these preachers a bunch of money who are driving the most expensive cars and, you know, have Learjets, you know. One of them said he has a Learjet because he doesn't want to be around non-believers because there's demons with the non-believers and God will hear his prayers better if he's higher closer to heaven. Come on, don't fall for that stuff, guys. Okay? And the Bible warns about those who teach that godliness is a means of financial gain. That's what it says. Watch out for them. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it says, false teachers deny the one who bought them. It says the blackest of darkness is reserved for them. It says they exploit you with their words, with stories they have made up. And because of their sensuality, their materialism, they'll bring the truth of God into disrepute or they'll bring the truth to be maligned, depending on the translation you have. In other words, they're going to make people look at Christianity as a joke. And that's exactly what's happening. It's exactly what it says in the words going to happen. So we want to make sure we're following Jesus and we're following truly and we're holding fast to him. Amen. We're sticking close to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And we want to make sure that we're not living for the things of this world and that we love him to the end. So Job, if I asked you, what was it that, what was the main thing? If you were to reduce it to one thing, the main thing whereby Job was able to endure his trial. What specific passage or scripture would you mention or would you think? Now, I thought about this and I thought, you know what? I often, sometimes, I think recently I gave a list of like 10 things that Job said that helped him endure his uh, temptation, helped him endure and not fall away, helped him be prepared for the trial that was before him, and helped him endure that trial. And by the way, there's heavy trials coming upon the world right now. Have you noticed? The Bible said lawlessness would increase. Jesus said that. Is that happening? Yeah, he said there would be ethnic group against ethnic group, nation against nation, and the Greek is ethnos against ethnos. Is that happening? Unfortunately, yes. He said the love of many would grow cold. Is that happening? Yes. He says there would be a breakdown of authority. Is that happening? Yes. On and on and on. It's like, wow, here we are. We've been talking about this. Here it is. It's going to get worse. These are just the birth pains. It's going to get worse. But I'll tell you what. In the midst of all of that, you need to know what Jesus said about holding on. Continuing, persevering in his word. And are you doing that? It's imperative that we are. So listen, what comes to your mind when you think of what was it? Because I love to see, when I go through scripture, you know, like Corey Tim Boom, you know, she said whenever she sees a scripture because she hid Jews in the Holocaust, she hid them from the Nazis in the Netherlands. I visited her home, you know, and uh, there in the Netherlands and it's just a beautiful, it's a little tiny home, but it's a beautiful thing because they hid Jews in a secret room. And they were eventually discovered. And then she and her family and her sister Betsy went to concentration camp. Betsy died in the concentration camp, her older sister who she admired. And Corey survived. And Corey ended up sharing her testimony all over the world. According to him, boom, there's a movie about her called The Hiding Place and also a book. Some of you have seen or read. It's worth reading. You should check out Corey. She has a lot of really encouraging things to say. But she said, people aren't ready for the coming great tribulation period that the church is going to go through. And she knew the church would go through it. But she said, what I do is every time I see a scripture that will help me endure tribulation, because she went through the concentration camps, amen? She says, I, I write that scripture down. I commit it to my heart. So I have the scripture in my heart so I can endure tribulation. I love that about what Corey said, you know? And I think it's vital that we memorize scripture, that we write scripture in our hearts. So what things, so I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, this is the one thing that Job said 
that, that got him through it all. But I wrote down other things that he said that I thought were really super cool, but relate, but weren't the main thing. They were the main thing too, but they're all related. Especially one thing I'm going to say, it looks like the main thing, and it is the main thing, but you couldn't get to that main thing unless you have another main thing. You'll see what I'm saying in a second. In other words, when I think about how did Job get through, well, I think initially he fell on his face before God. After all his kids got killed, he, and he could have got really bitter and turned against God, he didn't. He fell on his face before God, and he looked at reality. He said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm leaving the world. In other words, he wasn't going to be able to bring his kids with him. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I recognize that you, these kids are yours first. You're the one that gave them to me temporarily. You give and you take away. And then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Instead of cursing God, he blessed the name of the Lord. You need to remember to do that in your trials. Amen? Don't get upset with God. Bless him. That's huge. But that's not the main thing that got him through. You might say, and one of my other favorite things that Job says, he saw the big picture. He knew that God was using this trial to perfect him, which he didn't always know. A lot of, most of the time he's struggling. Like, what's going on, Lord? But he had glimpses of faith, flashes of faith. And he says, I know that when the Lord is done with me, he's going to make me like gold. I love that because he got that glimpse of faith. Yeah, you know what? It's a horrible trial. I can't believe it, but I'm going to come out shining like gold in the end. Praise God. That got him through, but guess what? That wasn't the main thing. What I would normally say is the main thing, and it really is the main thing as far as where your faith is, is one of my favorite things. And we studied this recently, midway through the book of Job, chapter 19. He's going through a struggle, and he's like a picture of Jesus and how my bones are sticking out of my, you know, into my, my, out into my flesh and into my clothes, and, and I'm despised and rejected. He's a picture of Jesus. He's an innocent, the most righteous man on earth suffering. And in the midst of that, he gets a picture of what Jesus is going to do for him. Boom, he bursts forth and says, my Redeemer, I know, not I guess, not I think, I know my Redeemer lives. And that after my flesh has been decayed, and by the way, it was decaying. It was filled with sores already. He goes, after it's decayed, I will see him in my flesh. In other words, there will be a resurrection. And I'll see God, he says, in my flesh. His Redeemer, he knows, is God. Show that to Jehovah's Witnesses who denies that Jesus is God. I'll see God in the flesh, he says. I know my Redeemer lives. Amen. And I'll see him on the earth. That's amazing. And the, and the, Greek, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is goel. And that's for the kinsman redeemer, the one who would buy back the land for his deceased relative to restore the land. Jesus came, our kinsman redeemer, he became a human being and died in our place to save us from our sins, amen, to give us eternal life, amen. But the goel also had a criminal aspect I mentioned recently where he would also avenge the wicked of his kin. And Job goes on to warn his friends, be concerned, you be careful what his un, what his miserable comforters were saying he goes because he could unsheathe his sword against you because he's my goel and he had to pray for his friends at the end of the story man because they were out of line god god had him pray for him and offer a sacrifice for him well guess what guys as awesome as that is this was the critical thing and that was critical but without what i'm going to tell you next he could have never even known that there's one huge truth that allows the other truths to penetrate job's heart what is that? Job said, in Job chapter 23, verse 12, he says, I have not departed from the words of your, or the commands of your lips. I have not departed from the commandments of your lips. Catch that? The commandments of God's lips, God's word. He says, I have not departed from the commandments of your lips. And he says, I have treasured your words as more valuable. I've treasured the words of your mouth as more valuable than my daily food. Catch that? I have not departed from the commandments of your lips. I have treasured your word as more important, the words of your mouth, 
as more important than my daily food. You catch that? Why is that so important? Because Satan was trying to get him away from the promises of God, trying to get him not to keep the word of God. He looked at God's word and what came out of his mouth. He had it departed from his commandments and he was treasuring the word of God, okay, that he had. And by the way, keep in mind, that book was written probably before Genesis, probably the first book of the Bible written. So what he had was personal revelation that God had spoken to him and any, anybody that God was using at that moment. So, and I believe some were new revelations to him. My Redeemer liveth. That was a new thing. I believe that came in the midst of his trial when he was suffering like Christ would suffer as a picture. And then God showed him that this is what the Messiah was going to do for him. He says, I know my Redeemer liveth. But guess what? If he wasn't paying attention to God's word and wasn't holding to God's word, he could never say, I know my Redeemer lives. Amen? He had to value God's word more importantly than his daily food. And this is a man who could, who was, life was ebbing away. All he probably had, he probably thought to comfort him was food. He had nothing else. But more important than his daily food was the word of God. Amen? And then when you put God's word first, then you can know the Redeemer through his word. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So yes, it was equally important that he puts his faith in the Redeemer, but he couldn't know who the Redeemer was unless he had the word. And unless he held to the word, he couldn't continue to benefit from what the Redeemer would do for him. Amen? So this is very, very important. Chapter 23, verse 12. In fact, you know what? I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Can I encourage you to do something? Put God's word first. Have you hid his word in your heart? The Bible says I've hid his word in my heart so I will not sin against him. The Bible says, young men, you are, are victorious or overcomers because the word of God abides in you. Amen. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure but by keeping it according to the word of God? It says, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen. His word is so important, you guys. And we have this incredible book here, the word of God. I want to encourage you to memorize the word of God. I want to encourage you to hide in your hearts. Do you put the word of God first? Do you put the word of God first? What's more important to you, the word of God or the, your cell phone? What do you get more excited about during the day? The word of God or your job? The word of God or the light of God's word or the light of your television set? The light of God's word or the light from your computer, which is not really light at all? The exercise at the gym, your workout regimen, your favorite hobby? Don't put anything before his word. Job says, I treasure his word, the words from his lips, more than my daily food. Amen? Could you ever give up a meal and just say, I'm just going to fast from this meal right now and read God's word? It's a good test. All these things are important. And it's not that hard to memorize scripture. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge each and every person here. How about you memorize Job 23, 12? Very, very simple verse. Job 23, what's half of 23? It's going to be a 0.5, okay? But you can, it's easy. 23, what's half of 23? It's a, almost 12, right? Job 23, 12. There, you got the address. You already, hey, what's, what, what scripture? What's the address? Job what? 23, what's it? 23, 12, you already have. Now you got the address. The first line. First line. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. Amen? Amen? You just say that seven, eight times. Then say the next part. I've treasured the, uh, his words, uh, the words of his mouth. Right? That's what? Then more necessary than my daily food. Not hard. 
I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to memorize this verse because it's such a linchpin type verse. And it's so powerful. I want to encourage you in that. Brothers and sisters, I'm, I, was, that, I, I memorized that like last week. And I've known that verse for some time. I'm like, did I ever commit that to memory? And I was at my computer. I was going to go for, I think it was a bike ride. And I was like, man, I, I got a mountain bike. I'm going to memorize that verse. Because I've been doing a lot of hiking and mountain biking and stuff lately. And, uh, and I think since last Saturday, I've lost like 14 pounds in a week. And I was like, boom, quick. Because I'm eating just two small meals a day, uh, usually, you know. And I'm working my rear end off, literally. <laughs> so, but I was looking at the scripture. I'm like, I'm going to take this because... Don't just mount bike. Just don't go to the gym. Take, take the scripture with you, amen? Redeem the time. Put Jesus first. And guess what? My day was so busy. I have such a crazy life. I was like, going to go. And I was like, man, I ran out of time. I got to go do this. I got to call this person. I got to, oh, Lord. And I'm driving down the road doing something, going, doing an errand or something. I got to get this. And, and also I'm like, oh, I already got it memorized. It's already in my heart because I looked at it a few times on the computer. And it was just that easy. And I just said it a few more times and then remind myself of it. And that, that's how easy it is. You just get that scripture out. You go to work. Just don't stare at it and get in an accident, okay? Sometimes, you know, I'm like, it could be a little crazy on the road. Just look at it and send, or whatever. You're, you know, you're taking a shower. Part, take part of it with you in the, bat, in the shower, not the paper. I'm talking about just read it and then memorize it. Memorize the word of God. Get the word of God in you. Amen? Now, you don't want to mix up. You want, to be un, you want to be unmixed, amen? You want to have the word of God first. Church of Laodicea, a lot of junk. You have a name that you're, you know, they, they, you know, they had, they said they were rejoicing, the church of Laodicea, because you say, you said, I'm rich and I have need of, I become wealthy and I have need of nothing and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow, they had a mixed faith. That's crazy, that's ugly. Guess what James says? Get rid of the weeds, he says, basically, and focus on God's word. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, those are weeds, and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Amen? Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know what the word hearers is? It's a Greek word for auditors. Those that would audit and just listen but not do anything about it. You could audit a class, right? And not, you know what I'm saying? You can go out of the class and just listen, not take the test. He doesn't want you just to audit because we will be tested. First Peter chapter two, verses one and two, he says, get rid of the weeds and let the word of God grow in your heart. He says this, therefore putting aside all malice, that's a weed, and all deceit, that's another weed, hypocrisy, another weed, and envy and slander, all slander, other weeds. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Are you longing for the pure milk of the word like a baby? How do babies long for milk? You ever hear it? Thinking you're kind of loud. They really mean it. In fact, one translation I was looking at says, cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk. That's the NLT translation. Amplified, like newborn babies, you should crave, thirst for, earnestly desire the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk. Pure milk. The pure milk of the word, man. You want to make sure you're getting pure teaching from the word of God and that you're in the word of God so you can know what's pure. Amen? Remember China got, they didn't get busted because they're a communist regime. But they put... uh, uh, they were selling a lot of milk to our infants. People were buying it for their infants, and it had a chemical in it. And that chemical would help it boost the production or look like it had enough protein. It would mask the lack of protein. And I think it was melamine. Look at my notes here. But that chemical killed a lot of the infants, babies, because they adulterated the milk. You want to make sure you're drinking from the pure milk of God's word. You want a healthy physical diet? Even more so, you want a healthy spiritual diet. Amen. 
I was reading about a guy named Michelle Latito. If you looked up Michelle Latito, M-I-C-H-E-L Latito, L-O-T-I-T-O, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records as having the strangest diet because he would eat 2.2 pounds of metal every day. Okay, he ate several tons of metal by the time his life was over. Okay, uh, he uh, just ate a lot of crazy things. But uh, what's interesting is, well, I'll give you some of the things he ate. He ate 11 bicycles, seven shopping carts, a metal coffin, a cash register, a washing machine, 15 shopping carts, a computer, a pair of skis, uh, six chandeliers, a television, and a Cessna plane. Biggest thing he ever ate, including the 1,500-pound engine in the Cessna. Okay? So, guys, he, he'd cut him in little pieces and he'd eat them. You can look him up if you want on Wikipedia. He's right there, you know. And I've seen him eat it. He's on YouTube and he'll eat it, you know. He, he died relatively young because it's not a good diet, okay? Okay? So you want to make sure your diet is pure scripturally so you are spiritually right with God. Amen? Because in the end it says... Hebrews 6, this is what happens, verses 7 and 8. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation, meaning you hear the word of God, you bear fruit, is useful for those whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Wow. That's the end. If you don't bear fruit, you end up getting burned. Like Jesus said in John 15, 6, the branch that doesn't bear fruit withers, is cut off, thrown in the fire, and burned. But he says, let my word abide in you, and you abide in me. We want to abide in the word. Hold fast the word. Amen. Keep it to the end. And I read one commentary in Hebrews 6 that said, oh, the author of Hebrews didn't know, you know, much about agriculture and didn't realize that when the a ground gets burned, it's actually very healthy for the ground because it releases certain things and so forth, and it kills fungus and, you know, parasites and so forth. And who do you think you are presuming over the Word of God? I, when I read that kind of stuff, I'm like, by a liberal commentator, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know more than God? Guess what? He was so wrong. You know why? The U.S. Forest Service says that they've, saw, they've seen ground that's got 1,200 degrees in temperature, hot, where it gets so hot, it actually ruins the ground. It's like it's cursed. In fact, what happens is it, the nitrogen just vaporizes, you know, volatilizes. And uh, what happens is... Uh, the nutrients, the microorganisms are all destroyed. So that for a few, inch, two or three inches, there's no life. So you put a seed in there, you can't even get a seed in there. You can't even get water on top of it a lot of times. Why? Because it becomes so hot, it like melts together and water can't even penetrate it. It's cursed. The only thing, way it can be reconstituted is if you introduce, reintroduce soil to it. If I was talking to John Heber. He goes, yeah, he was learning from a, a guy that works uh, in, with the forest that the, the groundhogs would come up, the gophers, and push new soil up, you know. Joe, was talk, Joe Buck was talking about you put the seeds in. And we were having a conversation with him. New seeds, if you get those new seeds in there, they break up the ground as well. Okay, so we bring people to Jesus. We plant more seeds as Christians, amen. We don't freak out when there's groundhogs and worms in our lives. We like seek Jesus more, Amen. And guess what? I was reading that you reconstitute it by raking fresh soil into it. You have to have the heart remade. And guess what the Bible says? The Bible says this. For thus says the Lord, 
the men of Judah and of Jerusalem, break up the fallow ground. Break up that hard ground, amen? And do not sow among thorns. Get rid of the thorns, amen? This is what we all need to do. Make sure our hearts are soft. Make sure we don't have thorns in our lives, that we repent of them, amen? And we need to make sure we look at our hearts and say, hey, I don't want to allow my heart to become hard and hearted as, as a Christian, amen? I don't want to allow my heart to be fr- uh, as shallow, be a shallow Christian. I don't want to be the mixed heart where I allow a bunch of sin and weeds in my heart to choke out God's word, right? And I forfeit eternal life. I want to make sure that I hold fast the word of God and I persevere, amen? And that I bring forth fruit, whether it's 30 or 60 or 100 fold, let's all bring forth fruit to the Lord's for his eternal glory, amen? So I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage you guys to make sure you're putting the word of God first in your life, amen? Make sure you're putting Jesus first in your life. He is the word made flesh, amen? And I want to encourage you also, guys, brothers and sisters, please, who is the sower of the seed? Jesus. The sower went out to sow some seed, right? Well, Jesus ascended, and we're the body of Christ. It says that we're his hands and his feet. It says, as he is sower, we in this world. In other words, we recognize that we're now to serve him. Now we're to sow the seeds. We're to plant the seeds, amen? So, you know, one of the ways to stand fire for Jesus? Don't stop sowing seeds. A friend of mine named, you guys, a lot of you know Ray Comfort. He talks about when he witnesses the people, if they say, oh, I'm a Christian, and he's witness to them, they say they're Christians, he'll say, hey, when's the last time you read God's word? He says, I know if they say something like, oh, I haven't read it for a couple years. <laughs> he says he knows they're not abiding in Christ. He knows they're not Christians, not following Jesus. We want to make sure we're in God's word, amen? But one of the ways to make sure you're in God's word is sowing God's word, amen? But make sure as you're sowing God's word and you're defending God's word, you don't cease from feeding on his word, Amen? and desiring it as babes that desire the pure milk of the word. Amen? Let's keep seeking Jesus. Let's hold fast like the fourth soil, amen, with perseverance, and let's bear fruit to his eternal glory. And we'll all see each other in eternity and we'll say, praise God, you continued in his word. Jesus says, he that keeps my word will never see death, John 8, 52. Is he talking about physical death or spiritual death? Spiritual death, amen. Let's hold fast to Jesus as he holds on to us, amen. Let's all please stand.